So today we are um, also finishing our teaching series. We're finishing our teaching series that has been a really small series on the book of Philemon. Um, And this is a book that is um, talking about an issue that's still alive in the world today. And I know a number of you went and picked up uh, prayer cards for how we could be uh, in partnership with IJM uh, working against slavery around the world. And that's the issue that this letter is talking about. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a time where you have the Apostle Paul is writing this letter. It's one of the smallest books in the, in, the, in the Bible. And he's writing this letter to Philemon, who is a slave owner, which sounds strange to us, but at the time was culturally very normal. Okay? And, and Philemon had become a Christian and owned a slave, and the slave's name was Onesimus. And Onesimus is run away um, from Philemon. He's a Christian now. And Paul, in this letter, is sending this runaway slave, Onesimus, back to his slave owner, which is really dangerous, Philemon. And Paul sends this letter with him that's basically saying, you need to free this slave. This is what you need to do. We're going to read the last third of this letter today. And, and you've got to think about how amazing this is. This is a letter written 2,000 years ago in a different language. I write letters all the time, and I just hope that the person I wrote it to actually reads it. Do you know what I mean? Or like, do they read the first, do they read the subject in the email? It's like, oh, I don't want to hear about that. Like, we're talking about this 2,000 years later of what this means. And, and this is what, what Paul writes to finish this letter. He says, so if you consider me your partner, welcome him, that is Onesimus, as you would welcome me, Paul. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, and I will repay it. I say nothing about your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. One more thing, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping through your prayers to be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greeting to you, and so does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask this morning that you would take us, no matter who we are, no matter how we walk in here today, that you would open our minds and hearts to what your word is to us, and that you would send us out of here different than the way we came in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the way I want to I get at this teaching today is, is to actually share with you um, a story. And I mean this as kind of a testimony. Um, testimonies uh, need to be heard in a certain way. Because the way you could hear a testimony is that the testimony is about me, right? Or the person that's giving the testimony and this thing that happened to me. And that's not the point of why you give a testimony. A testimony is to focus the attention on God and how God works and how God works in your life and how God works in our world still today. And so if you walk out of here today going, oh, Thomas had this cool story, you've missed the point of it completely. Because this is not a story about what I experienced this week. This is a story that I think illuminates what Paul is doing here and can encourage us for what God's going to do in your life and how God works in the world still today. So I want you to listen to it with those ears, okay? And as we do that, I, I also want to remind you of a couple of things that have been the thrust of this, of this teaching series, why we've talked about it. Paul is writing here and giving us an outline for something that we talk about a lot at Covenant, which is how we do community together, how we're in relationship with each other. We've talked for years now that, that one of our core values, one of the things that we believe every single person needs to, be, needs to be doing is walking in intimate community with some other people. 
At a larger church, you've got to have pockets of intimate community. And our job is to help you find that, of who are those people that you're really walking with. Because the point of why God gives us community is to grow. And that's important in this letter. Paul is saying, here's what, he's writing about how community functions, but the point of it is not so that we can have laughs together. It's not so that we just have activities to do. It's not so that we don't feel lonely, which is how some of us you know, are excited about having people. Oh, I'm not lonely when I'm with people, and if I'm by myself, I just need to plug into my cell phone or get around people so that I don't feel lonely anymore. That's not why God gives it to us. God gives us community so that we'll change. We're meant to be different because of our relationships. Every single person here ought to have individuals that they can look at in this community and say, my life's different because of that person. My walk is different because of that person. I'm different spiritually, emotionally. My life is in a different place. I have a better sense of what God's doing in my life. And we should just be all be, and it can be different people. It's not the same person for everyone, but different people we can look at and say, that person's walked with me. That person prays for me. That person makes a difference in my life. Paul's saying that's why you have community. That's why it's so important because you and I should be transformed because of each other. We should be different because of how God gives us the gift of relationships. And to do that, we have to be honest. We have to share. We have to hear different opinions. We have to hear different ways of of understanding what pursuing Jesus looks like. We can't grow if we're all the same and think the same and and look the same and went to the same four colleges and all vote the same way. It's it's not going to work because we're all just going to reinforce what we already think. That the point of community is that we share in our differences and learn in our differences so that our world goes from here to here, gets bigger. So we can't be afraid about, we don't want to be the kind of place where it's like, oh, don't talk about those subjects at Covenant because it could ruffle. No, we want to get into it. We want to get into it in pockets of community so that we can grow together. And Paul's writing to Philemon that way. He's writing about this issue of slavery, and some of us might have loved it if what Paul does is just created a rule, right? Churches specialize in that, right? Uh, You know, it's like, if we want to change something here, we elect a task force, we have a committee, they study it, you know, they pray about it, they go to another committee and talk about it, and then they take it back to a bigger committee, and they vote on it, and then send it on to another committee, and then we create a policy, right? We create rules and, and, and procedures of how we do things. What's really good, and yet what's really kind of frustrating about Paul, is it would be easier on slavery if we're like, just make an issue. Make a policy, right? Make a rule. What's the rule about slavery? Can we do it or not? And Paul doesn't teach that way here. How he teaches is he says that if we did that, if I just, as the Apostle Paul created a rule for all people to follow, he says it would actually invalidate why slavery is bad. I want to say that again because it's really important. The reason slavery is bad would be defeated if Paul, as Paul, the Apostle Paul on high, made a rule about it. So what he does is he teaches why slavery is bad. And what he says is, I am not Paul here, and then Philemon, you're the slave owner here, and I can tell you what to do. He says, I could do that, right? I mean, I'm the Apostle Paul. When you're that, you just kind of can do this stuff, right? But Philemon converted under Paul's ministry. I mean, he could do that. But what he does from verse 1 is he says, you and I, Philemon, are brothers in Christ. We are equal in the eyes of God because both of us are broken, sinful people who have been forgiven and loved by God. And therefore, I'm not here and you're here, but we're here together. Because what he says is, is like, and then that also means that Onesimus, your slave, isn't here, right? It's not Paul, Philemon, Onesimus. That's how the world looked at it. But he says, no, now Onesimus is here with us as well. 
He says that we're all equally loved by God, equally redeemed by God, equally forgiven and saved by the love of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, all of these hierarchies of importance are just kind of washed away because we are brothers and sisters in the faith. You see how cool that is? I mean, it's it's amazing. And so if Paul said, hey, I'm the apostle Paul, here's the rule, no slavery. Well, you could have gotten rid of it, but you would have lost the why. You would have lost the foundation that carries on. Does that make sense? So Paul's writing this where he's saying, so now we're all equals. And now this slave who I'm returning to you is your brother. So what do you want to do with that? Well, it's really hard to have a slave who's your equal, right? So Paul is not creating a rule, but he's undermining the entire system of slavery and how you think about it. And friends, we live in a world today where there are just about as many social hierarchies that exist now as existed then, right? There are all kinds of hierarchies of who's here and who's here and who's here, and we find our worth and our meaning of where we stack up and and everything else. And Paul's saying, we need to be a community where lives change because of this. So how do we create a community where we are kind of co-teaching and co-learning rather than this, this, this? That's what I want us to talk about today. How do you do that? How do you be a community of, 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 of people where we grow because we're kind of co-teaching and co-learning together? I think that's what Paul's talking about here. And I got to experience this week. This is kind of a heady concept, so I think a story will help. And I got to experience that this week. And I got to experience it in a place that was like the last place I ever thought I would experience it. And that is that I went to a gathering of pastors. And that is, I avoid these things like the plague, and I had to go to it. As I shared last week, I'm in this weird three weeks where I'm traveling every week, and I don't, I don't travel much, and I don't like to travel. Um, and so, uh, and this was the week, and I think this is a sermon that's going to be on the internet, but we'll put it out there. Anyway, uh, this was the one of the three trips that I was looking forward to the least, because I don't like getting together with pastors. I really don't, because there's always three things that happen. One of three things or more. The first is, is that we kind of moan about the state of things and then talk about the rules that we want to change to engage people, right? Because it's like if we make enough rules and have the right policies, people will magically start listening to the church again, right? We don't know how, but it's all we know. So we create committees and we make rules and we debate the rules that no one cares about or listens to anymore, but we do it because it gives us a sense of activity. And I just find that to be a suckage of life. I just, I find the entire thing just to, it just, I find it awful. Um, And so I don't like going for that. Second thing we do is we gossip. We're really, really good at gossiping when we're together. Because we're like, did you hear about what happened in this church? Or did you hear about this this parachurch ministry and what happened in the UT campus and what what they did? And oh, how would we do that differently? And and then the third thing, and this was the one that I knew was going to happen at the gathering I just went to, was we brag a lot. And that it creates an environment of competition and insecurity, right? And, and I feel that when I'm with people, right? And, and this was right for it because the gathering was a gathering of, some, of a few pastors, and I, I, and I, I want to say this so you understand it, who were invited specifically because we're in larger churches where dynamic things are happening, It's like, oh my gosh, that sounds terrible. So I said no. Because I just, I, do, I just don't go to this kind of stuff at all. I just don't like it. I don't like feeling the insecurity that I'm going to feel when I'm there going, oh, well, these people are doing this and we're not doing anything. We're terrible. I don't, I'm terrible. I'm not, you know. 
And so I just don't go. And they all tell you the same thing. They're like, we're going to do this because we're going to learn from each other and grow. And you're like, no, we're not. No, that's not going to happen. We're going we're to feel competitive and insecure. And, and no one grows through that. But we keep doing it. So I just keep saying no. Well, a friend of mine who's a pastor in Dallas called me and said, I heard you said no. And I said, I did say no. And he said, you need to come. I think this one's going to be different. I'm like, it's not going to be different. These things are never, everybody says it'll be different. It's never different. And I don't want to go. He goes, no, just come. Just try it one time. Just come and see if it'll be different. And the first moment I got, now, first off, we met in Galveston. And I got to tell you, the drive through Houston is awesome, right? And when you get to do that twice in three days, somebody at some point is going to have to tell me when it is not rush hour in Houston. Because every day and every hour, it's rush hour. And so, you know, I was like an hour late, and that was great. It gets you off on the right foot with everybody. Um, and then I thought, well, maybe it's, they'll think I'm fashionably late because I'm too cool to care. If I'm getting, and that kind of ranks me here and makes me seem secure, not insecure. And so I, I got there, and I knew from the beginning I'd made a mistake because my friend from Dallas came down and met me. And because we're pastors, all we really have in common at the beginning for that, like, small talk is what's happening in our churches, right? And so I said, so tell me what's going on as we were walking up um, the steps into this house um, <laughs> that a member of another church had because it's like, oh, our member of our church just donates this like amazing house to us. And you're like, great. Well, well don't, you know, <laughs> okay. How amazing for you. And you're, my family gets a vacation here five times a year for free. You're like, how wonderful for you that you get to go do that. Um, walking up the steps of this, this, this incredible house. And I asked my friend, I said, so I said, how, how's, how's ministry in Dallas? And he tells me this incredible thing that their communications department has come up with, where they're communicating in this new way with this new vision and it's reaching people and all this stuff is going on. And I immediately felt it, right? I immediately am like, well, we're not doing any of that stuff. And it's just like, oh, this like feeling of insecurity and I don't belong here and everything else. And I looked at him and I said, so did you come up with this? idea. I mean, I don't even really understand what you're saying. Like, did you, like, is this your idea? And he goes, no, 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 it's not, it's not my idea. Our communications department came up with this in their staff meeting. I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, they, you know, and you mean like in staff meeting when like we have a covenant when you're all together and you share ideas and they came up with this. He said, no, 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 not in that staff meeting. Our communications department actually has a staff meeting. I'm like, how many people are in your communications department? Seven Seven full-time employees working on communication together. And in their staff meeting, they came up with a philosophy that went to the bigger staff meeting that got passed. And I'm going, what am I doing here? Like, this is, this is apples and oranges. I don't understand. I, I, and, and we walk in, and then the worst part comes. And the worst part is you sit around in this living room, and everyone introduces themselves to each other. And you have five minutes or less. And it always works the same way. There's two things that are made clear when everyone introduces themselves. First off, in the introductions, it's very clear that they are the greatest leader that the world has ever seen before, even though they're acting very humble. And second thing that happens is that their, cha their, their churches are changing the face of humanity more than any church ever has in the history of the world. And they're just honored to be a part of it, right? And I hate that moment. And I'm trying to think of my elevator speech at Mission Institute. And we got this thing going, and that's going to wow them and all this kind of stuff. And this pastor from Houston who had gathered us, he goes, all right, so we're going to introduce ourselves to each other. He goes, but here's how we're going to do it. We have to first go around and introduce our Genesis 3 selves. And I'm going, what? I, don't, I totally don't belong here. I know Genesis is the first book of the Bible, but I don't know how a Genesis 3 introduction works. And everyone's also like, mm, mm, like that. And so I did the same thing. You're like, mm, yeah, powerful stuff. And, and, like, and he goes, and what that is is in Genesis 3, 
That's the story of the fall. That's the story of Adam and Eve. That's the story of people's disobedience to God. And so we're going to go around and all of us are going to have to talk about how broken we are. And he goes, now who wants to go first? (laughs) Now normally at these things, people are like clawing and fighting to go first for how they can amaze people with how incredible their church is. And it was crickets chirping in this living room, right? There is no one. And he knew that was going to happen. So he said, all right, I'll go first. And he spent five minutes just outlining how broken he is. And there is this party that's going, you are really messed up. Like you, oh my God, you're, oh my gosh, right? And he wasn't talking about like my spouse is messed up or my kids are doing this or my church or my staff, the staff always complaining and I got to deal with it. It's like, no, this is how I'm broken. This is how I contribute to pain. This is how I contribute to the brokenness in my family and in my marriage and in my friendships. These are the things that I am struggling with. And it was incredible. And it was real. And it was honest. And then he invited the next person to go, my buddy from Dallas did the same thing. And I'm learning stuff about him going, really? Oh my gosh. I had no idea. And I thought we were friends. (laughs) And then it came to me. And you would think in that moment that there's fear, right? That people are going to see these things about you that I worked so hard for nobody to really see. And yet it's not scary when you're in a place where folks are living that way. It is the most freeing, wonderful, life-giving experience just to go, man, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what brokenness looks like in my life. These are the things that if Covenant knew about it, they would never let me preach another sermon again. Seriously. These are the things that are real, that are going on. This is my Genesis 3 self. It was incredible. It was amazing in this room. And then after we all spent a a number of minutes doing that, then he said, now let's introduce ourselves by our Genesis 1 story. And Genesis 1 is when Adam is in the garden with God and God's creating and doing these amazing things of giving life and birthing new creation. And Adam gets to participate in that, of naming animals and, and being a part of what God's doing. He said, now that we've established we're broken, now let's talk about how God is actually allowing us to be a part of creating something beautiful in this world. And all of a sudden we started sharing about that. We started sharing about what was going on in our families or what was going on in our churches and and it changed the dynamic completely because there was no level of bragging anymore. There was no level of insecurity that you felt because all of us had just named how messed up we are. Not were, how messed up we are. We just named that together. And then all of a sudden we can go, can you believe that God would use me to be a part of a community like Covenant with the number of things that are going on here? And in that story, we didn't introduce ourselves based on the amazing things we're doing. We're talking about how amazing is God that he's doing this despite how messed up we are. You see the dynamics? that You see the change in that? You see how it changes everything about how we do community? Because it's not here and here and here, and then us living in competition and insecurity of where do I fit in in this, right? Because that's our world. It's all around us all the time. Right? I mean, every time that you're driving in the carpool line and it says, my child is an honor student somewhere and your child isn't, there's that little piece of you that goes, there's it, and there you are, right there, right? And it's subtle and it's like we're building each other up, but we feel it and it creates this sense in us all the time. It creates this sense of competition and insecurity of where our our identity comes from and how we measure up and, and, and what we do and how that works. And what Paul is doing here is he's outlining a totally different way of being together. 
He's saying it's not this and this and this, but that we are all equally forgiven in Jesus. Our worth is found there. And I want you to think about how much time and energy you spend in your life trying to put on the appearance of being the Apostle Paul in this letter. The leader that's got the answers, who's you know, teaching other people and folks are listening to, and Paul's going, that's not me. Don't put me on that pedestal. The key to community is not trying to figure out how we polish ourselves up to become more like the image of Paul here. The key and the starting point of community is when we admit that all of us are Philemon. All of us are the broken person. All of us are the slave owner. All of us have these parts, these Genesis 3 parts of our life that are broken, that we're insecure about. And when we live in community where that is the common link, that is the common way that we understand ourselves, that that is the common thing we share, it just levels the playing field of what God is doing. And then, then we can start growing together. Then we can start going, hey, I, I want to pray for you in this way, or these are the things I see in your life. These are the things that I want to talk to you about. These are the patterns that I've noticed. And it's not this, and, and how do I measure up, or how do I find my way? It's about going, how, do we, how are we co-teaching and learning? You see, it's, it's, it's so important, the difference in this. And we want to be a place where we are establishing these kinds of pockets where your, your Genesis 3 self is known. We want to establish all kinds of different ways where you are comfortable going, this is how I'm Philemon. This is how I'm going to take the mask off of trying to be the one who has the answers and the great Christian leader and blah, 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 blah. This is where my brokenness lies. And if we can start there, that's the key to how we are a community where we change, where we're transformed, where we grow together. And you can choose to be a part of that. You can choose to participate in that. We've had unbelievable participation in these covenant groups. And one of the things that came back for me, is my excitement that part of my travel schedule has affected our covenant group meeting together and how much I'm looking forward to being with them again because that's a place where I can be known and loved and prayed for. How important that discipline is in our life. How important that something like the church picnic today is. It's not just this fun thing we do. It's about finding a time where our lives can intersect, where we can get to know each other. It's so important the Mother's Day retreat next weekend that people are participating in and there's still room for others to go who are saying, no, I want to choose to go away and for a weekend do life with some people where I'm going to take the mask off and not try to live behind the image of how amazing I am and my life is and my family is, but we're just going to walk in what's real and we're going to see God show up in that and work in us and change us together. It's a totally different way of understanding community. And it's built on the fact that we don't find our worth in what we do or how we measure up or how we accomplish things, even though that message is drilled into us every day. Our worth is found at this table. Our worth is found at this table where Jesus gathered with a bunch of imperfect people and declared his love and value that they had in their eyes. This table is not a place for perfect people living squeaky clean lives. This table is a place for messy, broken Philemons, for you, for me to come together and to hear that we are loved and valued by the creator of the universe, no matter how much success or failure has existed in our life this week, and that we can then know each other and walk with each other in that kind of honesty. That's the community Paul's outlining, and you can choose to be a part of it today. The question is whether we have the faith and courage to live in truth. The truth of who we are and the truth of who God declares us to be.
Amen. Amen. It's this table, this table, where Jesus gathered with a bunch of imperfect people, people who didn't get it right, people who didn't have the perfect resumes, people who would betray him and abandon him and leave him. He gathered with Philemon's. He gathered with me and you at this table. And at this meal, he took some bread, as I do now in his name, and after giving thanks for it, he blessed it and he broke it. And he said to these people, to you and I, this is my body that is broken for you. You are worth that much. This body is broken for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you eat of it, he says, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, at the same meal, he took a cup. And he said, there's a new way of doing things. This cup is a new covenant. It is sealed in my blood. It is shed for the forgiveness of sins. He said, whenever you drink of it, do this also, always, in remembrance of me. For whenever we eat of this bread, friends, and whenever we drink from this cup, we declare a revolution exists, a revolution in who we are and how we understand ourselves and the worth that we have and the honesty with which we can live with one another. We declare the saving love of Jesus Christ until he comes again, and come again he shall to make all things new. Amen.